This morning's scripture from the prophet Isaiah embodies what is true for many of the prophets, a voice of correction on the margins. But before I go any further in talking about the prophet Isaiah, I want to, for a moment, tell you about a story of my own. It's called When Brian Learned to Dance. <laughs> I grew up, and I don't know what it was. I probably was, I was insecure, and I just didn't want to, you know, stand out. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to look cool, you know, all those things. And so whenever a dance would come in the, like, the high school, you know, like homecoming and prom, all that, I just cringed at the thought of these dances because I just didn't think that I was any good, and every time I got on the dance floor, I thought everyone was looking at me, right? Because that's what people do. They look at me, and then they watch how silly I would be. And so growing up my entire life, I did not like to dance one bit, not, not much. You couldn't get me on the dance floor. I felt so bad for my uh, senior year prom date because I literally watched her dance while I sat on the side and talked to people. <laughs> and I look back at it and I say, oh man, I should have never invited someone to a dance when I didn't like to dance. I, I tell you that because I want to fast forward a little bit to my senior year of college. I was working at a uh, church in Pomona. It's called Pomona First Baptist. I was an intern there working with the youth. And one of my delegations was to lead a service project with the youth. And so we did a service project because, you know, that's what we do as Christians. We give back to the community, right? We serve the community. And so that's what we were going to do as a, a community of youth is we were going to go on this service project. It was once a month on Friday nights. And we would go to uh, kind of like an adult facility for people that were differently abled. So, you know, they would be able to have a place throughout the days so that they could have uh, some sense of being monitored, but then also they could be doing productive things things like putting together medical kits. And so people with Down syndrome or severe uh, autism, they would go to these places and um, they would do it. But on Friday night, once a month, they would have a party. And so our service project was to bring these youth to the party, right? And like, you know, anyone that goes into serving or volunteering, right? It's me giving to them. So what a gift it is for us to go with all of these youth and to dance alongside these differently abled individuals, people that uh, are amazing and they have so much fun. And so I got there and I, and I just would watch them dance. And you know what happened? The youth did exactly what I did at all the dances. <laughs> they sat on the side. And so I sat there and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm in charge of these youth who are supposed to go and be a service, but all of them are acting like me and are too embarrassed to get out on the dance floor and really be there to be what they're supposed to do, which is to help bring some different life and different energy to this party that was going on. And so, you know, there I was. I was like, okay, well, I got to lead this thing. I do not like to dance one bit. So I get on the dance floor, and I start, you know, kind of doing my thing just a little bit. And this guy named Ron, who had Down syndrome, he was like, you know, a little bit shorter than me. He grabbed my hands, and he just starts swinging with me. And he just starts dancing. And the joy on his face was just intoxicating. And, and I, I tell you what, I learned to dance on these Friday nights 
at these, you know, differently abled place because I would go and every time I would get there, Ron would be like waiting for when we get out of the car, grab me by the hand and take me to the, to the center of the dance floor. And then he would leave me there and go get some of the youth that were on the side and bring them into the center of the dance floor. And so there he was teaching us how to let go, to, to be, and to, to dance. And I started to realize there that perhaps when I dance, I should be a little bit more like Ron. He didn't care. He wanted to have fun, and he wanted others to have fun with him. And I, and I tell you that story because it was a catechismic shift in how I understood service. Because there in that moment, I realized that I was not serving Ron that he had served me. That there in that moment, the person I went to be a gift to was rather a gift that changed me so much so that I'll tell you a story of how I learned to dance from my brother Ron. See, because this is one of the things that I want to talk about today, is this shift in how we approach this Christian obligation of serving others. I think it'd be hard stretched to find someone that doesn't believe that what it means to embody Christ's love in the world is to, you know, not serve the community, to not go out and try to do good, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus talks about it in the separation of the goats. You know, those who did not give me water, did not clothe me, did not feed me, right? That you have done to the least of me least of these you've done unto me, Jesus says. So we know that we're supposed to do these things. Although I feel like oftentimes, especially within communities that have and dealing with those that have not, we feel like we are the ones giving in those contexts. We're the ones that are offering up Fast forward again a few more years, and I started to realize this interesting narrative throughout the Gospels, throughout the entirety of Scripture. And it's this theme that I mentioned at the beginning of service today, and that's one of justice. It's a word that's particularly important to us and to our faith and to God, is justice. If you listen to the prophet Isaiah, he goes on and on about the people of Israel and how they've lost their way and how they're no longer the sacrifices and the ways in which they worship are unappeasing to God, that God actually hates it, he says. And then it transitions at one point in the end to the reason, to the reason in which God says all of that through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, instead of doing everything you had been doing, seek justice, watch over the oppressed, and care for the widows and the orphans. God's idea, vision for what it means to be whole in the world includes like I say on communion Sundays or every Sunday for that matter, a seat at the table for all. 
includes a seat at the table for all. And so on the eve of MLK Junior Day, we are reminded that the same truth that was there throughout the narrative of the Bible, of God calling us to justice, is there for us still. But it's all, I think, upon the backdrop of that first story I said about Ron. Because if we... approach endeavors of seeking justice as if we're the ones that are going to fix the problem, save the day, help out, serve, give back to the community, whatever the words you say, we will miss the power that God is calling us to. There's actually a book upon my shelf called Toxic Charity. (laughs) That's actually the sermon title for this morning. And when we think about charity and benevolence, rarely do we think about it being toxic, right? Something that might break us apart. But when we engage in justice and giving a seat at the table, and we go about serving in a way that's handing out, giving back, there is the server and the one being served. In fact, Robert Lipton in his book, Toxic Charity, talks about the theme, or talks about one of the scandals that is within the church, and that's the scandal that we are the Savior that goes out and fixes the community's problems through the money that we send, through the the food pantries that we run, through all the things that we do that we're going to fix it. And one of the things that he says is, aid does not solve the problem of finding a seat at the table, that receiving a handout does not allow you a seat at the table. It gives you food to eat at another table, right? Imagine it just for a moment, that time when, you know, you were a child and you always sat at the child's table at your family gatherings, you know, the, not the fancy one with all the fancy silverware and the, you know, stuff that can break super easily if you knock it over, but you're at the pop-up, you know, like, table with the plastic silverware and all that stuff because, you know, you're going to make a mess and, you know, all of that. But the time when you get allowed to sit at the table with the adults is the time when you enter into a new phase of your life. And Robert Lupton said that feeling that dignity that you have when you get to sit at that adult table is more powerful and transformative than the food in front of you that you were given to eat at the side. He doesn't say that exactly, but it's a metaphor of what he calls us, invites us to think about when we talk about service and of justice in the world. And so he tells the story of a food pantry, started at a local church, all the best intentions in the world to serve the community. And he said the greatest point of difference that that food pantry made was when they invited a faithful recipient of food week after week, finally an opportunity to move beyond the counter that you handed out from. 
He would ask, what can I do for this? I can't give you any money for this, obviously, but what can I do? And over and over again, he'd be asking, how can I help? What can I do? But because it was us serving them, they said, no, it's fine. Just take it. It's a gift. But what was transformational for that man at that local church at that food pantry was when they invited him back into the closet to stock the shelves, to do the work so that he could give back in his own way. A group that I worked with in North Carolina when I was a pastor at the church downtown, I, I loved their approach to how they, and it was started by students, it was amazing. But it, they started this program called the Community Empowerment Fund in recognition that handouts don't always solve the problem of systemic poverty. And so they said that rather than giving people handouts of what we think they need, we're going to have them take classes around finances, and they take classes to help them build up their resume, and they're going to do that. And if they take these classes, right, then they can apply for a grant. And that grant, friends, had zero attachments on what it needed to be for. None. They could uh, apply for a grant for a dishwasher in their house, a car. They could apply for it for, uh, you know, to invest in the business that they were starting. They could apply for a grant for whatever they wanted because they said that if they're going to take the time and energy to go through these classes to work on themselves, then perhaps, perhaps they know what they need most at this given time. At this given time, in this given place. Friends, if we go to serve the world, what we ought to also do is open our ears. Because if we're unable to listen to the people that we're serving and to give them the sense of dignity to be able to voice their concerns, tell you actually what they need, then we will do a disjust, an injustice to it all. We'll do an injustice to them all. Because that's the thing about justice, at least my understanding. Justice to me is an opportunity for all people to have the dignity to live into the truth that they are made in the image of God as they are. So I don't care if it's in rags or if it's in designer clothes, we all come to the table with the same dignity of being made in the image of God as we are. And so this is the power, I think, of Martin Luther King Jr., of the vision that he saw as, and the movement that was undergirded within the civil rights. It was the power to believe that just because the color of your skin does not mean that you're of any less worth or value. And that no longer were they going to stand beside while there was different portions of the bus or different water fountains that you drink out of, different bathrooms that you go to, that we are all made in God's image and that we all have a seat at the table. 
And so the people in the civil rights movement weren't asking for handouts. They weren't asking for food. Although certainly there was financial ramifications of all that they were working with. They were asking to be seen and they were asking to be heard. And I know that the Black Lives Movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement had a lot of controversy and politicizing built in. But for me, I heard that as an opportunity to listen to a group within the United States calling for a voice to be heard, eyes to be seen, dignity at the table in the conversation. Because that is what God is calling us to from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible an opportunity for us all to gather with those heavenly hosts that worship and proclaim Jesus is king. But the kingdom that he invites us to pray for here on earth as it is in heaven is a kingdom where all are seen. You can use the story of Elisha who, in in listening to a woman, asks her, well, what do you have to bring? Not what can I do for you, but then the woman goes off and she, you know, gets this and goes into her house and she looks around her house and she says, what do I have to offer to this? And she says, I've got some jars and some of them have some oil in them. And Elisha goes, great, go to your friends and ask for more oil. And then all of a sudden they had more than enough oil to fill numerous jars. And he says, go take that oil and sell it. And now you'll have food to eat. Jesus, amidst the hustle and bustle, he of going to you know, raise someone, for, heal someone that was just about to die. In fact, they ended up dying. Gets uh, this woman that touches the back of his cloak. And amidst all the hustle bustle, everyone's saying, we got to go and heal this girl before she dies. He stops right there in that moment. Not to fix a situation, but to listen. To give her the value and, and the dignity to know that her need her need was important. Same with the woman at the well. He sits and listens. Same with the leper who you're supposed to pass by and steer clear of. He sees. And so the kingdom of God is a kingdom that God calls us to, to see and to hear, and perhaps we might not be able to change it. And in fact, issues of justice rarely have quick fixes. Rarely. But instead, they're solved within the context of relationships. So when we look at the ways in which we give, I'm not trying to say giving is bad, but we cannot leave it there unless it leads us into relationships. Because it's only within the context of the relationships where everyone can experience the dignity and worth of being made in the image of God. It's only within the context of relationships. And so that is why I believe charity can be toxic because it takes out that opportunity to relate. 
It takes out the opportunity to relate because you have the one who has and the one who has not, and the relationship will ever be the same that you will get from the other. So how do we find ways where we can all be at equal playing field? And I can tell you story after story of what it can look like. But I think for us as a church, Ohana, as people of faith, how is God calling us and inviting us to go deeper in our understanding of service? Because the thing is, is one of the, the grounding beliefs of our faith in the Methodist tradition is that we have a balance of acts of mercy and works of justice. Mercy are the things like, you know, clothing and giving water and giving food, and there's a place. But it must be balanced with works of righting the wrongs, of giving people dignity that before felt that they did not. And so how are we embodying that piece of the puzzle? How are we living out lives of justice? Listening to the needs of the community, giving voice to the voiceless, empowering others to believe that they might know what is best for them. Because that is God's heart for the kingdom of God here on earth. Some even change the word kingdom, and you might have seen this before, because kingdom, what denotes one on top and then us on bottom, right? The king and then the serfs. And instead, they change it. They take out the G and I think the D and they say K-I-N dash king kingdom. So I guess I didn't take out the D, just the G. Kingdom. That the kingdom of God is where we all see one another as kin, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to that adult table where your seat has a name. There's a place that's saved for you, no matter your age, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity. There is nothing that takes a seat away from the table. You're welcome. You're invited. You belong because we're kin together within God's vision for this earth. So let us walk in justice. Let us seek it, as the prophet Isaiah says. And let us walk alongside the orphans, the oppressed, the widows, so that all might have a voice. And let us sing together for God's justice to roll down and to be present more today than it was yesterday, more tomorrow than it was today. I invite you to pray with me. God, we know that the problems of the world are big. And so when we think about the justice that you call us to. We know that there are no easy answers. 
Even if we look at our own community and we look at giant issues like climate change or houselessness or affordable housing, we know that there are no easy answers. Help us. Give us the relationships, the people in our lives that we might listen to anew, we might see for a first time or again. And this time, do it in a way that allows them opportunity to share. Help us create a table or find the tables, moreover, in our community where you're already inviting and giving everyone a seat. And let us join in in the work of the kingdom here and now. And let us sing over and over for your justice to roll down, for your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven.